1: In Lake George, New York, I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, whatever you're doing, I hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located on St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912 268 Two eight nine one two two six eight two three two eight. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino. From Bondage to Baddest Men on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold and you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to this show. Just visit bondsandnoble.com or amazon.com. You want a signed copy? Don't worry about it. Visit our website, billycboxing.com and click on the book. We got a busy show scheduled for you today. Lots of stuff to talk about in the news. We got Jeffrey Sussman scheduled to join us. He just put out a book about Rocky Graziano. Uh, We'll get him a little bit later. We got a bunch of emails, emails I didn't get to yesterday that we'll get to today. Some fights that had taken place, uh, a a decent fight tonight. Uh, And then Sunday morning, uh, we got a fight that we're going to give our predictions, breakdowns, all of that happy stuff. But first, let's get started right away. Um, Yesterday's main topic was the offer that... uh, um, Team Anthony Joshua made to Deontay Wilder to have the fight take place. It was $12.5 million. Um, according to multiple reports, Team Wilder has said that the offer of $12.5 million plus a rematch is an insult. Uh, keeping in mind that uh, Wilder, his advisor slash manager slash promoters, uh, Al Heyman, Shelly Finkel, Lou DiBella, Uh, All are saying that it was an insult of an offer, despite being $10 million more than his previous uh, uh, highest paid fight. Joining me right now, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. what's your thoughts on the reports that your boy
2: has refused the offer? I, uh, again, I like to hear this and see this uh, from the horse's mouth. (laughs) But uh, no, you know what? I would be very disappointed because first of all, you know, to make this fight happen, it takes uh, two parties willing to get in a ring, of course. And, uh, you know, that should be the goal, the four, uh, the, the, the front, the full focal point of where they want to get to dance with each other. And the bottom line is $12 million, $12.5 $12. million really should not be looked at as an insult considering it's, over $10 million more than what he has earned in previous fights. Second of all, like I said, Deontay, backload the contract where everything's going to be in your favor should you win. And you can make this sound like, hey, guess what, Anthony? Joshua's got to get the most now because this is the biggest and the last time he's going to have a big purse like this because you're going to dethrone him and you're going to own him. The bottom line is, you know, take the offer. 12.5 To have a unification of of the heavyweight championship of the world. And, you know, like I said, you'll have a rematch clause, you bring it back to the U.S., and you'll be the guy in the driver's seat if you should beat him. And if not, you know, you'll still be in great contention. You'll still be on top of the game. Uh, You'll still have a benchmark reestablished of maybe not 12.5 million, but maybe several more million than what you have right now. Well, um, you know,
1: I, I, the more I was thinking about this yesterday, uh, and I personally think that the 12 million, uh, 12.5 million alleged offer um, was more than reasonable. I, I, I really I really thought so, but I did give it some more thought, and uh, I said to myself, uh, you know, maybe." A percentage split does make the most sense. Uh, you know, there's rumors that this fight could generate uh, as much as a uh, um, hundred million dollars. I would think it could. You know, and with that said, you know, twelve point five could be uh, very low. I, I I think that the magnitude of this fight, and for the reasons that this fight is is taking place, not only to unify. Uh, the 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 creme de la creme division in the sport of boxing, but the sport itself, um, you know, I, I, on the one hand, dollars and cents twelve point five million, ten million dollars more than a guy has ever made before. And considering if he doesn't take that, how many fights would it take for him to make twelve point five million? At least four or five fights, even if he's fighting uh, slugs. Um, you know, on the onset, it looks like it's a no-brainer. But in the large picture, maybe a percentage, a percentage split is more reasonable. Um, like, you know, in my opinion, there's no way it should be a 50-50 split. Uh, but uh, a 60-40 split, Anthony Joshua getting 60% is more realistic. That's my thoughts. Showtime, uh, they wanted to... They want to add to it. They they want to help negotiations. Uh, Steve Espinosa, who's a uh, pretty shady-looking character, I don't know him personally, so but uh, he, you know, just judging on a book by its cover, he looks kind of shady. People have said he is. Um, he says, and I quote: "We have vested interest in both guys. We feel attached to each of them. If we can help mediate, we will. We've at, we've offered that." We're a key element of this negotiation. If we can grease the wheels in terms of getting a deal done attractively to everyone, then we'll do our best. I have no doubt that this fight will happen. It could be the next fight. It could be the second fight or it could be in the spring of 2019. Just like Billy C said, uh, I don't think we'll see a drawn out negotiation because I see two fighters anxious uh, to stage a worldwide mega fight. But meanwhile, Sal... Back at the offices of the worst sanctioning body in the sport of boxing, the WBA, they have stepped on the gas pedal ordering the uh, Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Povetkin fight. We talked about that earlier this week. They've upped the ante. They are saying that they have 30 days as of April 5th to come to an agreement before they go to a purse bid. So uh, I would think that this fight uh, this fight, meaning Deontay Wilder against Anthony Joshua, better be signed pretty quickly uh, because the last thing that I would think that Team Joshua would, would want is a Povetkin fight to go to Perspid because then that Russian lunatic uh, of a promoter will outbid everybody and stage that fight in Russia. And we all know what kind of crazy things happen when uh, fights are staged in Russia. What do you think?
2: <laughs> Well, I think you know, like I said, Bill, the big fight that everybody wants to see is the one that we're talking about right now, and that is Deontay Wilder versus Anthony Joshua, and for the unification heavyweight championship of the world. Um, that's the only fight I really care to see in the heavyweight division. And what what the other other offerings and everything else? Yeah, you know what? When you look at the big picture, I think the twelve point five in the realm of, of maybe a fight generating $100 million. Maybe it could be uh, some kind of split on a pay-per-view level or something else there. And I think 60-40 is very fair for Anthony Joshua to uh, get the 60% and Deontay Wilder get the 40 And that would generate a lot of revenue for both fighters anyway. So, you know, th- there is some wiggle room there, and I think that Anthony Joshua should be a little more receptive to that. But I think the 12.5 guaranteed base is not an insult in that sense um i think the percentage of the of the uh, revenue generated from uh, pay-per-views and everything else could sweeten the deal i mean the original offer was basically what seven the alleged original offer was uh 7.5 million or 7 million plus the u.s or uh, all the pay-per-views for deontay wilder that could have been an interesting scenario for him too so I think um, there will be a lot of people wanting to see this fight. I think it will generate a lot of money pay-per-view. And uh, I think that, that would be a fair share if they can negotiate a percentage split out of that. And I don't want to see the Paveckian fight. Got a sign, seal, and deliver this fight ASAP. Have you ever I'd seen Paveckian Pavec- fight?
1: No. Okay. Um, just to add to this um anthony joshua now we know that the time difference uh is uh you know i think five or six hours right now um but uh my man johnston who uh has a column up on billycboxing.com uh gave me an update this morning just before we came on air and um joshua made some comments about the fight with deontay wilder uh, all of a sudden, I, I believe that Anthony Joshua and his team are really trying hard to make this fight so that they don't have to fight Povetkin. I think that Pivet, if they have this fight signed, sealed, and delivered, then there's some wiggle room with uh, the WBA and Pavetkin, I would think. Otherwise, uh, I, I think that the WBA would, uh, would risk losing all credibility. Uh, And and Joshua, some quotes from Joshua today, uh, he says, if it's a $100 million fight and they are happy with taking 60-40. And, 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 you know, I've been saying 60-40 for a long time, but rumor has it that Team Wilder has said publicly that they would take a 60-40 split, which is, I I think that's a reasonable split. I I really do. I think it's a reasonable split. Yeah, yeah, regardless of the money. But listen to this quote, Sal. Anthony Joshua says if it is a 100 million dollar fight and they're happy taking a 60-40 split I'll take 50-50 give me 15 give me 50 million dollars up front and I swear I'll sign to fight that uh, I'll sign to fight tomorrow um, in other words what Anthony Joshua is saying is You know, you could, people could say how much you want. If you give AJ 50 million, he'll sign and take the fight now, you know, which I think is puts it in perspective. Uh, Because, you know, just because a fight might generate 100 million doesn't mean it profits 100 million. But anyway, he says they're not making offers like that, but they are talking about it. So uh, it's not real. Uh, We've offered them a lucrative deal and we're just waiting to hear if he's serious or not. In other words, they're saying, hey, dude. Put up your money. Put the money up. You guys want to have the fight? You give me fifty million. I'll fight tomorrow. You know that Anthony Joshua is making it real, and the real part of it is the fact that Deontay Wilder doesn't have a team that could put the fight on. That's that's the truth, Sal. That's hundred percent the truth. Um, he says, and and this is true too. Let me let me get this and get your thoughts. He says they like to jump on social media rather than email us back in a professional manner, I don't understand where they're coming from. Nevertheless, there's many heavyweights out there that are serious to fight. Uh, When he was asked about if he expects the fight to really happen, he says it has to happen. There's not really been many fights in the heavyweight division in history that haven't happened when you're talking about this level, this championship level. In terms of history, I think that this fight has to happen because it would be great for this era of the sport of boxing And if it doesn't happen,
2: it's a shame. What's your thoughts? I like that, and I agree with it. Because, you know, the bottom line is I think the sport of boxing could benefit from this type of fight, this mega fight. And it it could use it right now. And I think that, uh, you know, we'll be able to ride on this one for a while and uh, open up the door for other big fights. Uh, And, you know, we we hear all the rhetoric, all the hypotheticals, all the uh, intangibles. Well, let's make this tangible. Let's look look at it and put it all in perspective, and let's get this fight underway, and let's get the nego- negotiations to be uh, on a realistic level, and let's let these guys come and meet each other to dance. And, and I think that is the goal. That's what should be drummed out, and that's what should be uh, iced and, 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 and surely clarified and, and done hopefully in a week or two. Um, it's got to be. I think they should. And I think that they have a reasonable foundation where they can carve out the percentages, the gate, this and that, and everything else, and come up with a solution. And uh, um, I, that's what I really think they should be doing, sitting down at the bargaining table and making this fight happen for the fans that want to pay for it. And that's it. Um,
1: some other news in the heavyweight division. Uh, it was reported yesterday, signed, and, uh, delivered officially Frank Warren. Signed uh, Tyson Fury And they have the His comeback date all set It's taking place June 9th At the Manchester Arena They are having If it's not taking place now They are having a uh, press conference To officially announce it to, Right now, today uh, In uh, England um, If you guys uh, forgot Tyson Fury has been out of the ring For over two and a half years His last fight was actually his upset victory over Vladimir Klitschko uh, back in November of 2015. Tyson Fury is undefeated at 29 years old. Still, he's still young, uh, 25-0 and with 18 knockouts. Uh, there's no secret to the fact that he's been calling out Anthony Joshua. And Anthony Joshua against Tyson Fury in England uh, would be a huge fight. You know, uh, once again, the options are wide open for Anthony Joshua. Um, and Deontay Wilder is, is in a must-face Anthony Joshua situation, in my opinion, because the other opportunities for, for Deontay Wilder are not going to be as lucrative financially. Uh, you know, the greed factor has to be put aside here. You have to look at what's being offered to fight A.J., And then look at it realistically. How many fights would it take to get to that number, et cetera, et cetera. And like Sal just said, worry about the rematch. Backload the rematch. If everybody's so confident on Team Wilder that he's going to beat AJ, then make the fight happen. Deontay Wilder's been shooting off his mouth for the last year and a half, two years, pounding his chest, saying he's the best, saying nobody wants to fight him, everybody's ducking him, all this crap. And uh, here's, he's, he's got it in his, in his lap. And if he doesn't take this fight, let me tell you something. Forget about the money. Forget about everything. It's going to make Deontay Wilder look exactly what he is, a loudmouth. He's got to back it up in the ring. Uh, now, as far as Tyson Fury is concerned, uh, June 9th, it hasn't been officially announced. Maybe they'll announce it today. But the guy that's been being discussed about stepping in the ring with him uh, is Shannon Briggs. Shannon Briggs is uh, 60 wins, 6 losses, and a draw. He is 46 years old, uh, and he didn't fight uh, since his last fight was uh, in May. He had gotten popped. He was supposed to fight uh, Lucas Brown. Uh, He had gotten popped for uh, steroid use and was uh, uh, charged with a two-year band uh, from from performing. So that's uh, obviously up, so we'll see what happens with that. So that's what's going on in heavyweight news. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so I, we're
2: going to try to move on fast. You have a comment about that, Sal? I, I was going to just say, I wonder, I wonder if Canelo Alvarez heard that comment about about the uh, Briggs being banned for two years for steroid use. Number one. Number two, let uh, Tyson Fury come back against Pervecchian. There you go. Uh, see, once the fighter goes with steroids or some kind of juice or is accused of this or that, or there's founded evidence of that nature. i I really don't pay much attention to those fighters um
1: yeah well you watch uh canelo is gonna end up getting uh you know a slap on the wrist he'll be able to fight in september and speaking of uh canelo uh triple g is is running into some trouble the old muscle move uh took place yesterday gary spike o'sullivan which apparently was the guy that was most likely to face Triple G. He was a known commodity, had fought on HBO. Um, Apparently, they have pulled out of the fight. Uh, What has happened in the last uh, 48 hours is uh, Triple G and his team and HBO have made what I think is the right move by pulling that fight off of HBO pay-per-view and have made that on regular HBO now as a result of that HBO's boxing budget has been slashed the last couple of years and their biggest fights where they can make some money is on pay-per-view of course Uh, but by moving it to HBO it kind of hurts them financially so therefore according to multiple reports the money offer to Gary Spike O'Sullivan was a lot less than it would have been if the fight was on pay-per-view, which doesn't really make sense because that fight I don't think would have generated big pay-per-view, pay-per-view numbers to begin with. <laughs> uh, but uh, keep in mind, Gary Spike O'Sullivan is signed with Golden Boy. They turned down the offer that was uh, uh, laid out to him. So now, Triple G is looking at uh, you know the possibility of... Facing uh, uh, Sergey Devoranchenko now Sergey Devoranchenko is a mandatory for the IBF belt that uh, Triple G has, and the WBC belt that he has was Canelo was the mandatory. Um, he Billy Joe Saunders has the other belt, but they they can't fight until June, and then Demetrius Andre apparently. I don't know if Triple G's team uh, doesn't want to fight him or if the money hasn't been uh, enough for, for team Andre. I don't know, but it's starting to get messy, Sal and uh, it seems to me that fighting on on uh, May 5th might not be the smartest move for Triple G. I said this weeks ago. I, I, I think the smart move would have been for him to go fight Billy Joe Saunders in June. What's your thoughts?
2: Well, Billy Joe Saunders, I, I, I am almost. I'm gonna say this. Uh, I'm almost getting the feeling that maybe Triple G's camp doesn't want that uh, uh, Billy Joe Saunders fight to happen right now, um, or in June. And I, I'll tell you, not for any reason, other than okay, he was focused on uh, um, Canelo Alvarez for, for May fifth. And you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said about that. When a fighter has somebody in mind he's training for it's his incentive he has his picture on the wall he's looking at him he's training for him he's going against his style then all of a sudden it doesn't happen you know it, it's a whole kind of roller coaster where okay now i got to get emotionally charged and up for this fight and this and not and i think spike o'sullivan made a mistake by maybe not going through with this fight because he you know he's an action-packed fighter He's, he's a dangerous fighter He could have he pulled an upset Or he could have at least had a great showing Against uh, Triple G Which would have propelled him up I mean basically he's not a household name just yet uh, Spike O'Sullivan But having an HBO platform And uh, having a, a Sure maybe the purse wasn't going to be quite the, quite As much as it was on a pay-per-view But still you have an HBO In your living room platform And uh, against one of the most feared he- Middleweights uh, in the world today and all eyes are going to be on you. I think it would have been a great, great opportunity for Spike O'Sullivan to get in the ring there, with Triple G. And well, I think maybe now they should pull the whole damn plug and and start from scratch and see what's going on with the negotiation uh, process on the table.
1: Well, I, you know, it's it all boils down to money. Uh, and you know, to be honest with you, um, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, uh, we got. Uh, you know a situation here where triple G is in a rough spot you know canelo uh, cheated and now triple G is uh is paying the price i I, I don't I don't understand that you know um it's uh, uh it, it's it's it, it's stupid i do you do you
2: think that he's being held hostage here triple G yeah I don't think he's being held hostage um I think maybe the powers that may be are are still deciding what canelo's fate's going to be in the short term and maybe they're going to i use the term the minutia coming into play and and the fight will happen against triple g just not on may 5th uh, and canelo alvarez just not on may 5th and maybe that will be uh pushed back if the other mandatories aren't going to come into play and, and and start stripping of all these belts so I, I'm not really sure. We've got to see what the Nevada State Athletic Commission is going to do about the situation with the uh, Canelo Alvarez and a ban or a or suspension or whatever it might be. We're still, I still haven't heard anything solid about that as far as any time frame. And like I said, I, I think Triple G uh, is not really being held hostage, but I think that uh, you know he's been more than willing to try and fight on May 5th. Um, and for whatever reason, it's not going to happen. So I think I would just up camp and, and, and pull the plug and, and just uh, wait and see what uh, what does happen.
1: Well, uh, again, I, I think that in a way, in my opinion, I think that uh, uh, Triple G is being held hostage by uh, Golden Boy. And, you know, the, the thing is is that Canelo – and and realistically Canelo uh, is a uh, is a is a is a fighter who was caught cheating and now the ramifications and repercussions uh, of this seem to be hurting Triple G. You know, Canelo's the cheater and now Triple G uh, is is missing out. All he wanted to do was maintain his schedule and fight on Cinco de Mayo like he's been training and preparing for. This is one of the main reasons why I feel that a, a counter stance has to take place. Triple G needs to say, all right, Canelo, you want to play games? Forget about May 5th. You know, nobody fights May 5th. Canelo, uh, Triple G should go in, and and uh, go after Billy Joe Saunders and then wrap it up, man. You know, I mean, he does not need Canelo. I, I can't stand when special treatment is made, and that's what's taking place. Uh, with Canelo, even though he's been, you know, even though he backed out of a fight and his official sentence hasn't been handed down yet, he's getting special treatment. And you watch, he's not going to get any more than a couple of month ban, and they're going to retro that uh, back because he hasn't stepped Original in the test, ring, yeah. right? They're going to gonna go all the way back Original to that, exactly. Yep. You know, know, so so they, you know, they're going to play games, Sal and and and, and Triple G. You know whether his team doesn't have the juice or what, he's he's paying the price ultimately.
2: Well, and, and you made a good point, and and I do follow that bouncing ball, and uh, I'll tell you what, then Triple G should up camp as I suggested earlier, and uh, sit down with Billy Joe Saunders, and maybe. Not make a, a June fight, but maybe make a realistic. let's let's have one in, in uh, July or August. and then uh, and you know what? But Canelo Alvarez, he gets a six month ban uh, retroactively. It's his fault and uh, and uh, whatever else. And if Triple G uh, gets past Billy Joe Saunders and uh, has every belt in the world that he can possibly have, uh, then let him either retire go out in the sunset or if he wants to face uh, or pick up round 13 so to speak uh, against Canelo Alvarez then they could do that at, at, on more of Triple G's terms and not Canelo Alvarez's terms but that really will not happen or is unlikely to happen because of Golden Boy well you know
1: both of them are going down pretty quick and uh, in, in my opinion Golden Boy and um Canelo Canelo already uh, screwed up. But uh, uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, uh, Jermel Charlo, not Jamal. Jamal is the one that moved. They're twins. They both look identical. And uh, Jamal is the twin that moved up to middleweight. Both of these guys are real big. Uh, Jermel has uh, stayed at the 154-pound uh, weight class. He is a uh, titleist. And it was announced yesterday that he will be fighting Austin Trout on June 9th. Um, you know, when I when I look at this fight, at first I'm saying to myself, man, you know, Austin Trout, you know, Austin Trout, I, you know, this guy's been around, right? I yes, mean, he's he 32 has. years old. He's ranked at middleweight at number 14. Now, the reason he's ranked at middleweight is because his last fight uh, against Juan De Angel, De Angel, uh, he won, and that was uh, over the... Uh, junior middleweight limit so now all of a sudden he's classified uh, on the computer as a middleweight Uh, but prior to that he had back-to-back losses one against Jamal Charlo Charlo, uh, where he uh, uh, lost a 12-round decision and then his last fight against Jared Hurd uh, and where he uh, couldn't continue after the 10th round these are two big big junior middleweights that he lost to Uh, now he's stepping in the ring uh, against the other Charlo brother, who's just as big now, um, his last big win against a, a known name, a, a big name, I should say, was against Miguel Cotto back in 2012. But since then, Saul Alvarez beat him, Urslandy Lara beat him, uh, Char- uh, Jamal Charlo and and Jared Hurd both beat him. Um, at 38 years old, at uh, 32 years old, he, he seems to be uh, become a, a, a gatekeeper. At first. I thought, oh, man, you know, uh, Charlo hasn't fought anybody either. But I was wrong because when I reviewed it, to tell you the truth, uh, Jamel Charlo has fought some good fights. As a matter of fact, you got to go back to uh, 2014 when he stepped up his level of opposition against Gabe Rosado since then. He's fought some pretty good opposition: Charles Bellamy, uh, Mario Alberto Lozanzo, uh Vanis Martirosian, Joam uh, Alkline, who won, uh, who was older, but he, you know he stopped him. Then he got a shot at the title against John Jackson, who was only uh, beaten twice, twenty and two, won the world title, and had successful defenses against Charles Hatley and uh, Erickson Lubin. Um, this will actually be his third defense. The only thing is, is I wish that he would have fought kel brook now he's the uh, wbc junior middleweight champion uh, austin trout was uh, magically placed at number nine in the wbc sal but kel brook is is ranked at number three for the wbc and wba i think i would have much rather have seen him fight kel brook or even uh wbo number one uh Liam smith versus an, an austin trout whose best days are behind him i agree with you
2: and i i think uh it would have been uh, a lot, a lot more interest in, in those fights uh, than Austin Trout. And uh, really, yeah, I I agree with you 100. Um,
1: uh, we're we we got a lot of stuff going on. I got uh, Jeffrey Sussman, uh, author of uh, Rocky Graziano: Fist, Fame, and Fortune, Rocky, and a new boy. book that came out. He's coming on uh, in about a half hour. Um, I, we got a bunch of emails to read. I want to break down some fights for this weekend. Um, one thing that I didn't get a chance to talk about yesterday was that they announced officially the uh, Leo Santa Cruz and Abna Mares rematch. It's taking place June 9th uh, on Showtime. And uh, uh, Leo Santa Cruz uh, at the press conference says, uh, you all saw the first fight, and it's gonna it was close. This is going to be a better fight because Mares uh, has a different trainer. I've seen Mares improve, and he's going to come seeking revenge. This will be a good fight. See you all on the 9th. No one loves Leo Santa Cruz more than me, man. I loved it. Except I hate what he does with his glove. But anyway, Abner Mari says this will be another (laughs) great fight. Leo is a humble guy, but I guess I have to uh, be the bad guy in this one. You guys saw the first fight. It was a toe-to-toe battle, and we pleased the fans. This will be a war. I'm fighting for redemption. I can say what I want, but I will win this fight. Sal, these two guys come at you. They're very entertaining. I can't wait for this rematch. What's your thoughts?
2: No, oh, me too. I mean, the first fight was was uh, explosive. It was a great fight, and I I don't think we're gonna we're gonna miss any action uh, less than what we can expect to see from both these combatants. I think it's gonna be a stellar fight, and may the best man win. And I can't wait to see it. Um, speaking of featherweights, uh, obviously that'll be
1: uh, for uh, uh, featherweight title. Um, Showtime added a couple of more decent featherweight fights. Um, On April 21st, uh, you have uh, Nonito Donaire going up against Carl Frampton uh, for the interim WBO featherweight title. Then uh, a couple weeks later in May, uh, IBF world champion Lee Selby uh, puts his belt on the line against Josh Warrington. Uh, So uh, these fights are going to be broadcast on Showtime's social media platforms. So a lot of people are getting into the streaming, uh, something that... uh, Uh, I knew was going to be the future of the sport and I had wished that uh, Sal would have uh, listened to me about five years ago and uh, uh, we would be in a different position today but uh, unfortunately uh, we're not but uh, in any event hey listen we're going to take a short break Uh, when I come back um, there's a fight on tonight uh, that uh, is, is definitely worthwhile there's also a fight that's taken place on sunday in the morning it's out of japan uh that i want to talk about but uh but first we'll we'll give you the uh breakdowns and predictions for a fight that's taking place tonight and another guy that we had already talked about uh that's going to be on that card unfortunately we won't see him on tv so uh, we're going to take a short break if you noticed, we're only taking two breaks today uh, one now one and a half hour and uh that's it a lot of stuff to cover on today's show so uh don't go anywhere it's Uh, We will be back in two.
0: Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Please interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com.
1: And uh, we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. Coming up in about a half hour, we got Jeffrey Sussman scheduled to join us. Talk about his new book, Rocky Graziano: Fists, Fame, and Fortune. Uh, I love the book. I got to read it, Uh, so we're looking forward to have Jeff back on. If you recall, he was on several months ago with his book on Ali. So uh, Anyway, um, there's some fights this weekend that we're going to get to a little bit later, but there are some fights uh, right now uh, that are taking place. Well, not right now, but there's some fights that are going to be taking place tonight, uh, and uh, I will talk about the uh, fights tonight and the ones that are taking place on Sunday morning, uh, before we get into some emails and I got a bunch of them. So, uh, we're, uh, we're playing catch up here tonight on, uh, on, on Thursday, it's Thursday, obviously, uh, what we're going to be, uh, uh, seeing is Francisco Vargas, the return is Francisco Vargas, uh, going up against, uh, Rod Salika in the main event. And, uh, It ought to be a a decent fight, I I guess. I mean, I like Francisco Vargas big time. I mean, uh, there's, uh, uh, I'm not so sure if there's many people that that don't like uh, this guy. I mean, he's an exciting fighter, and you know, he comes to fight. He's a fan friendly fight. He's a former world uh, junior lightweight champion. He's currently ranked at number five in that division. He's 33 years old. You know, it's funny. Yesterday we did the uh, blast from the past and we were talking about uh, Wilfred Benitez. And he was pretty much a spent fighter when his uh, last fight took place. And he was 32. Now we see these guys, even in the lower weight class, fighting well into their 30s. And Francisco Vargas, who's an action packed fighter, a kill or be killed style fighter, and he's still fighting at 33. His record: twenty-four wins, seventeen coming by knockout. He's got one loss in which he was stopped, and that only loss was against uh, Miguel Burchall, who we uh, saw uh, out of California uh, take his title away uh, back in January of last year. He does have a couple of draws. Um, he uh, he fought. Uh, uh, he won his title against uh, Takeshi uh, Murora in in twenty fifteen. But leading up to that, he he fought some really good opposition. Uh, beginning in 2013, against uh, the Corpus Christi kid, I love this kid. Uh, and at that time, uh, he was 18 and two. Uh, beat him, then beat Abnacoto, who was under uh, who was only once beaten at the time. Abnacoto was a, a, a up and coming prospect. Uh, Vargas beat him. Then he fought Juanma. Juanma Lopez knocked him out in three rounds in 2014. Gennaro Carmago, uh, a veteran, stopped him. Will Tomilson, once beaten, stopped him. He won the title, like I said, against Murara. Uh, Murara. And then uh, he had a, a a tough 12-round fight with Orlando Salido in which it ended up as a draw, a majority draw. Uh, he kept his title and then lost it to Burchelt uh, back in 2017. He did get back up on the horse and beat a quality fighter, in Steven Smith, it had to go to the scorecards early for a, uh, uh, because of a cut. That took place in 2017 in December, so he's kind of picking up where he left off. He steps in the ring with Rod Salika. Rod Salika's ranked at lightweight. You know, one of the big hangups I have, Sal, is that a lot of these young, good fighters are always fighting smaller opponents, guys that they force to move up. When I was looking at the uh, uh, fight for Charlo, and Austin Trout, I'm noticing on the records that a lot of the guys that face both Charlo brothers are fighters that are smaller that were forced to move up in order to fight these guys. Real quickly, before I get to Rod Salida, what's your thoughts on, on, you know, you know how I feel about things always swaying in one fighter's way all the time. What what do you think about fighters that fight guys that are always a weight class smaller?
2: I... You know, it, it's it, in the realm of, of the the game of boxing uh, Does and the weight classes being held in increments of maybe four or five pounds separating weight classes, you know, I, I don't think it's that unreasonable or, or that unrealistic because uh, you see a lot of times with those two increments of weight classes being as little as five pounds apart, uh, some fighters... Choosing to go up or down and, and doing it for a reason of, of taking on a, uh, a special fight or so. So I'm, I'm not uh, that opposed to it. And, you know, I think uh, uh, a smaller guy it, could always do well and, and oftentimes can, can beat uh, a, a bigger guy by a few pounds. And when you see the fighters and their techniques of getting on the scale, and making those weights a day before i said that 24 hours or a day before uh a lot can happen where a fighter can put on some weight so that's why i am not a big fan of uh the strategy involved and also what happens with a, a day before weigh ins i really feel we should go back to the same day weigh-ins and we may see a little bit less of, of uh things like that and uh Surely uh, it, it doesn't bother me, but uh, I, I just am uh, a big fan of the same-day weigh-ins for a multitude of reasons.
1: Well, unfortunately, we don't have same-day weigh-ins, and I agree with you. I think that um, it's better for the sport. Uh, we would, uh, I feel that we would have more realistic weight classes. I mean, um, some people's body and chemical makeup gives them the ability to dry out and make a weight that when they rehydrate, they're putting on 10, 15, even 20 pounds in a 24-hour period. The end result is you're getting, uh, you know, guys that are that are like, like what we saw last weekend, uh, you know, a guy fighting in, in, a, in a junior middleweight division who clearly was a cruiserweight on fight night. Um, but but, but it, it, it goes a little deeper than just that, Sal, because my point here is that a guy that can do that, A guy that has the chemical makeup that can, you know, lose weight, dehydrate themselves and lose 15 or more pounds overnight, make a weigh-in, and then gain that weight back after they have a couple of glasses of water and and a meal. Um, And they're constantly seeking out other fighters that don't have that ability and are even in a smaller weight class. The end result is you're seeing them uh, two and three weight classes above on fight night. To me, that's not challenging. You know, the, the thing I love about boxing, or what it, the way it used to be, is I like the challenge. I like to yes. see two fighters that, you know, you, you say to yourself, I mean, uh, you know what you used to do years ago? You go to a live fight, and, and I'm sure you did this too, Sal. You go to a live fight, and you're there with a couple of buddies or whatever, and you just pick uh, trunk colors. You know, I'm going with the guys wearing the dark trunks tonight. I'm going with the guys in the red corner or the blue corner, or, or you get to flip a coin and pick a guy for each fight. Yeah. And, and you know, you you had a chance of winning. It's not so much the case today. You know, I cover fights all over, and in most cases, the promoters, fighters are in one corner. The the opponents are in the other, and you can watch. Very rarely do the other corners win, and and the odds are always stacked. And uh, it it so does, They call
2: it the A side and the B side. Well, they shouldn't.
1: There shouldn't They're be an A side and a B be. side. You know, <laughs> I, you know, in boxing, you, you're supposed to. You know, when you got into the sport, I know it's called prize fighting, and people got into it for money, but there was also a, a manner of, uh, you know, pride and and uh, you know. Uh, like the way fighters want everything in their favor, you know, uh, like what's happening to Triple G now. You know, he he ends up forcing Canelo, uh, forcing Canelo's hand to to back out because Canelo's a cheater, uh, at least this time. Uh, and now Triple G is losing out. You know. So anyway, back to the fight, Francisco. Wait, Var- go
2: ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. You just said something important. What you said was yes, decades ago. It used to be, even maybe more than just a few decades ago. It used to be the rules and regulations were in place, and the fighters had to conform and abide by those rules and regulations. Today, they're tweaked, they're leveraged, they're done this, they're done. It's it's a different game, and it's not as. Uh, uh, comforting to know that you know there is some wiggle room in some of these rules regulations and everything else it should be signed, set deal hardwired for for what it was and what it should be and that should be it yeah
1: well i mean you know I, listen you can't have knockout drag out fights every single time no, but what you can, can have is even fights in terms of weight class size etc yes. you know and that's what, what irks at. me but anyways rod Salika... He's ranked at number 94 in the lightweight division. So you know technically he's he's uh, bigger uh, than Francisco uh, Vargas who's five foot eight even though physically he seems way smaller if you've seen the weigh-in pictures and stuff he's five foot seven. Um, his record is 24 wins, four coming uh, by knockout and he's lost four in which he was stopped one time. And that was when he stepped way up in class and fought Danny Garcia. If everybody remembers the beating that Danny Garcia gave him, knocked him out in two rounds. Um, Rod Salika, when you look at his 24 wins, obviously he's not a power puncher with only four knockouts, but every one of his four losses was when he stepped up in opposition. He got knocked out by Danny Garcia. He lost uh, against Ricardo Alvarez in 2013. Uh, he also lost uh, against Orvin Spivey back in 2012, and uh, his other loss earlier in his ki- career against Guillermo Sanchez. And I chuckle because I've watched Guillermo Sanchez many, many times. He's a fighter out of upstate uh, Western, upstate New York. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, he does have a good win against uh, Monty Mazaclay, which was a uh, ranked fighter uh, in 2014. But, uh, but right now, he's going to do his best to hang in there at 35 years old uh, fighting Francisco Vargas. I-, I-, I think this is a comeback and let's get Francisco Vargas another world title shot kind of a fight. I'm picking uh, Francisco Vargas to beat Rod Salika uh, in an entertaining fight because all of uh, Vargas's fights are entertaining. Sal, who do you like in this fight?
2: I like Francisco Vargas as well for a multitude of reasons, and uh, some of them that you just mentioned. I think he's a a, a warrior. I think he's an entertaining fighter, and I think uh, he's going to bring it to the fight. And I, I think Salika, as you say, he he often misses those big opportunities just because of his uh, uh, his style and his 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 uh, his size and and whatever it may be. But I think that Francisco Vargas will uh, probably. Have a uh, a great night to showcase his skill and and, and his victory against uh, uh, Salika, and uh, I pick him to win, maybe even by a knockout later rounds.
1: Um, the next fight I'm going to uh, talk about is happening Sunday on ESPN, and when I say Sunday, I wish all fights were like this. 8 a.m. I'm an early riser. I'm up at 4 a.m. <laughs> every day, so 8 a.m. you know is perfect for me. Um, there's a fight taking place in Japan. It will be aired on ESPN2 beginning at 8 a.m. Eastern time, 5 a.m. if you're on the West Coast. Um, but uh, uh, it's a decent fight uh, against the current uh, uh, world champion, uh, the WBA world champion, um, Murata. He's uh, going to be taking on the Italian uh, fighter, Bland Mura. Blanda Mura. Um, but one other fight that's going to be on—actually, uh, I-, I should have mentioned this before—a fight that's going to be on the card tonight, even though he won't be on the television—is that six-foot-six uh, uh, junior uh, middleweight, uh, Sebastian Fondora. We had talked about this guy before. Um, uh, uh, Fondora is six-foot-six, and he's a southpaw. And he's uh, already ranked at uh, within 200 184 in the junior middleweight division uh, he is undefeated eight0 with four knockouts and he's fighting again it's gonna be interesting to see this kid as he progresses south six foot six in a junior middleweight division he's 20 years old so we know he's gonna fill out uh, but oh, uh, he's
2: gonna fill out he's gonna be he's gonna be easily easily uh, he's gonna grow into being uh, uh light heavyweight, maybe heavyweight. Who knows? Who knows what his makeup will be. But, uh, yeah, he he's not going to stay around too much longer in the junior middleweight division. Yeah. Uh, heavyweight? I, I, I don't know. He's pretty skinny. Nah, 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 uh, but, he's a thin guy. Yeah. I, I could see him maybe as a super middleweight or, or light heavyweight. Well, we'll see. He's only 20. But uh, the so, longer he can stay in the lower weight class, the more advantage he's going to
1: have. But, uh, anyway, the fight Sunday morning on ESPN2. Mirada is 13-1 and from Japan. Uh, he is a guy that has some Olympic background. He won a gold medal uh, at a, uh, 165 pounds in the uh, 2012 Olympics. Um, he's uh, taken on a uh, European uh, ch- middleweight champion who I guess had to give up his Euro title even though uh, he uh, uh, still had it in his last fight, which was June of last year. Uh, Emmanuel Blandumara from Italy Uh, Let's start off with him. Uh, Blandumara is 38 years old. He's ranked at middleweight at number 40. He's 5 for 10. He's from uh, uh, Italy, like I said. His last fight uh, in 2017, uh, he still was the Euro middleweight champion. His record is 27 wins, only five coming by knockout. And he's got two losses in which he was knocked out in both of those uh, fights against two quality opponents, too. Michelle Sorrow. Uh, knocked him out in June of 2015 in the eighth round of a scheduled 12-round fight. Uh, Soro was 26 wins, one loss, one draw at the time. And the other guy who beat him in 2014 was Billy Joe Saunders, knocked him out again, same round, uh, eighth uh, of the scheduled 12th round. All his other opposition are virtually unknown. Uh, He's fought uh, uh, his entire career with the exception uh, of the Billy Joe Saunders fight and uh, a couple of others uh, where he fought in other parts of Europe. Uh, but the majority of his uh, career has been fought in Italy. Uh, like I said, his biggest uh, um, you know, uh, a- accomplishment in terms of titles was the- winning the Euro uh, middleweight title. Uh, my Paisan is stepping in, like I said, with Ryota Murata. Uh, Murata uh, was a bit of a prodigy. I mean, this is a guy that, that won the Olympics, a uh, gold medal in, in 2012. He's no spring chicken himself. He's 32 years old. He's the WBA regular world champion because we all know that the uh, real world champion for the WBA is uh, Triple G. Um, you know, you look at his uh, resume he fought some good opposition. He's only got thirteen pro fi- 14 pro fights. He's uh, 13 and 1. He's fought some good opposition um, uh, on his way up. I mean, from his pro debut fighting Akira Shibata, uh, who was 21 wins, 7 losses, and a draw when uh, Murata turned pro in 2013. Uh, his resume uh, is all quality opposition. Now, he got his chance to fight for the world title. It was a vacant WBA uh, regular middleweight title in May of last year, in May of 2017 against Hassam Nadam. He lost a very close uh, bit uh, of a controversial decision in Japan, which was kind of strange. They set up the rematch uh, several months later, five months later, almost to the day uh, of in October of uh, last year uh, in Tokyo, Japan, this time he beat Hassan and Hassan Nadam couldn't continue after the seventh round. And and I was watching that fight. I was on the road somewhere. I remember watching. I think it was up at Turning Stone. Um, and I remember watching this fight because it was on early in the morning as well. And I thought Hassan Nadam was doing well, and then all of a sudden uh, retired on, on his stool, giving Murata the championship. How's this fight going to go Sunday morning? I'm interested to see, because I'm looking for some improvement with Murata. Uh, I know his opponent is a come-at-you kind of a guy, but his weakness is his chin. I'm picking Murata in this one as much as uh, it hurts me to go against a fellow paisan. What do you think, Sal? <laughs>
2: well uh you make a good case here i i was looking at uh emmanuel um, uh Blonde rama i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing his name right, but, Mirara. Uh, yeah blando The we'll call him paisan right and uh anyway i think that uh, he's going to come up short i think Murata is is going to be you know this is at a point in his career he he's been pro now for what five years and uh 13, uh, 14 total fights, is, is not really an overly busy fighter. So I think he's got to get back up uh, and, and be in a showcase and be in the limelight. And I think this is his opportunity to try and uh, move forward with his career. Because as you suggested, he's not a, a spring chicken as well. So uh, I, I'm also going to pick Murata.
1: Um, so those are the, those are the two uh, uh, you know main fights that we have. It's kind of a slow weekend. Um, a programming note, we will not be doing a live show tomorrow or Monday. Uh, so uh, we apologize in advance for that. Um, let's get started with an email or two before we have to uh, uh, going, before we have to go to, uh, uh, to a break and, and bring Jeffrey Sussman on. Um, first one is from uh, my man Jesse. And uh, his subject says Connor versus Floyd in MMA. He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, uh, we should just let these arrogant, self-centered, loud mouths fight each other and make their money in whatever rules they want. Basically, a super fight freak show in MMA. We got Connor saying he will be the face of boxing and he can KO anybody. But in NM- M- but when he loses him in MMA, he says that they're too big, etc., etc." Um He only wants to fight stand-up in MMA with punches and kicks. Uh, He's not a a wrestler and submission artist. He avoids guys who can wrestle or submit. He is is his own believer in distance, timing, and combos with his punches in MMA. It takes years for Floyd to know excellent kicking and wrestling, grappling, and submission skills, so it's not realistic. Conor has been doing MMA for 10 years, and Floyd, none. So why not a Floyd versus Conor in stand-up MMA since Conor only likes to punch in MMA? Should Floyd promote his fighters since uh, they only fight once a year? Um, uh, Different topic, I guess. But but, uh, listen, I could give Floyd a pass for not being allowed to take a fighter down. But to prevent... If he's going to fight in an MMA cage... He's asking not only to prevent the down, down, uh, excuse me, ground game, but he's asking to prevent kicks, elbows, uh, anything like that. Uh, so, I mean, if he would say, "Okay, you can allow kicks and knees and all of that, uh, but you can't throw a, a guy to the ground, no submission holds," that is a is a happy medium, in my opinion. But to suggest that he's going to go and fight in what he's calling an MMA fight, but yet you can't do anything that makes it <laughs> MMA, is ridiculous. It's a scam. Uh, but uh, but I think that it, it would be more realistic and more profitable, to be honest with you, for, the, for, for everybody involved, if they would allow uh, kicks of some kind. What do you think?
2: Well, you know what I think. I mean, this is going to... If you leave it to Floyd Mayweather, he's going to have a boxing match inside a cage. And, uh, you know, we all know what's going to happen then and there. Uh, You know, hey, it it was easy. You know, when you see Conor McGregor coming from the MMA world, going into a boxing ring and, uh, and adhering to the boxing rules and regulations, he's out of his element. And Floyd did what he did to to show just that cause, just that end. Same thing would happen if Floyd was to go into an MMA cage and abide by the rules and regulations of the MMA. He would be flipped all over like a like a like a wet tuna on a, a boat deck and uh, trying to get back into the water. And uh, uh, the ring being his element, not the not the cage. And uh, I think Connor would really just have his field day of revenge uh, on that level. So. What does Floyd have to do? He's got to negate some of the rules and regulations of the MMA and make it more of a boxing scenario inside of a cage. I don't think it's it's good. Can they sell it? Yeah, they could sell it because they got they got the gullible fans that want to see something like that. And they'll spin it, they'll sell it, and it'll happen. And uh, But no, I, I think if there's going to be a crossover, one sport goes into the other, the other goes into the other one, they got to abide by the sport they're choosing to cross over into. Listen if they wanted to have a rematch in
1: boxing, just have a rematch in boxing. That's it. Don't Absolutely. say that you're going into MMA, but you can't kick, you can't do this, you can't do no, that. It's, it's, a it's a joke. It's, it's a scam. But uh, anyway, yeah. the last, uh, and and by, by the way, uh, Jesse's comment about, um, you know, his fighters only fighting once a year. You know, I, I've said this uh, uh, a, a long time ago. You know, if, if, if Floyd was smart, which I honestly don't think he he really is, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I, I think he's made some good decisions, or or somebody's advising him. And and if if it's him making all the decisions, then I'm totally wrong. Then he's 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 a genius. Uh, but uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that I think that Floyd Mayweather could become, if he put his mind to it, the same way he puts his mind to making money, one of the best promoters out there. And I think that Floyd should focus on that. And, 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 you know, we need a top promoter in the U.S. We need it. We don't have it. Golden Boy's not the one. Top rank is, you know, I mean, they're there, but it's Bob Arum. You know, we need some new blood. Floyd Mayweather and Mayweather Promotions could be that void. They could fill that void. He's got a couple of decent fighters, but the pro- problem with Floyd is he's got to let go of his ego first. Anyway, the last part of this email says, I saw a little of Hurd versus Lara and Herd, uh for being a pressure fighter with recklessness. He does not throw enough punches, poor defense. He's horrible technic- technique, sloppy punches, arm punches. He really belongs in the middle of super middleweight division. His current style won't last long in those weights, especially with his lack of punches and defense. Uh, I want to see Hurd versus Charlo uh, or Lara again. Um, yeah, well... <clears throat> uh Deontay Wilder has no skills either and yet he's undefeated so I mean listen you could say what you want about Hurd he's a big guy he comes at you if he can maintain that weight I can't see anybody in 154 pounds beating him because of his clear si- his sheer size um I agree that he's not fundamentally sound his punches are thrown kind of wild and stuff but he beat one of the most technically sound guys in the sport of boxing, in Landy Lara. So uh, you got to give him credit where credit's due, I think, but uh, in any event. Hey, Sal, we're going to take a short break right now. Uh, when we come back, we're, gonna, we're scheduled to have uh, Jeffrey Sussman on. He's going to, we're going to do a review on his book. Then we're going to get you back, man, because this is our last commercial of the show, dude. So uh, don't go anywhere. We will be back uh, in about two minutes. Uh, so, uh, hey, don't go anywhere.
0: Billy C. will be right back. Now back to talkin' boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson.
1: Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there, Jeremy. Man, uh, I need you to take this one on. Right? Wait,
0: what? What? No way. I, I, I can't
1: do this. Need I remind you, I'm Billy C. Damn it! Now put on that mustache and get in there.
0: Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio it's talking boxing with billy c now back to billy c interact with the show at billycboxing.com
1: and we're back you're watching and listening to The Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, we've got a busy show scheduled uh, for today going on right now, covering a lot of topics. Uh, And uh, right now, uh, there's a new book out. Uh, It's called Rocky Graziano, Fists, Fame, and Fortune. And uh, Jeffrey Sussman is the author. And uh, Mr. Sussman is joining us right now. Uh, Good morning, Jeff.
3: Good morning, Billy. Nice to see you.
1: How you doing, my man? Uh, Another great book that you put out. Uh, tell us uh, what made you do this one. I know you were, I know you were personally a big fan of Rocky Graziano, right? Was that the main reason why you wrote this book?
3: Yeah, I had loved Rocky Graziano ever since I was about 12 years old when I had read uh, Somebody Up There Likes Me. I was very taken by the book. And actually, I even got to meet him once when I was, uh, I guess, in my early 20s. When I was coming home from work, he, he lived in a section of Queens at that time called Forest Hills, and I was coming out of the subway, and I saw this guy walking a little white poodle, and I recognized him, and I went up to him, told him how much I liked him and admired him. He thanked me very much, said he had to get the dog upstairs, because he, he didn't feed the dog pretty soon. The dog would take a bite out of his ankle. Um, listen, you got some really
1: bad uh, feedback going on. Um, uh, I, I don't know uh, what it is, but uh, hopefully we can, we can keep going here, um, but uh, Jeff... You know, one of the things that I enjoyed about the book was the fact that you, you you seem to uncover. I I thought I knew everything about Rocky Graziano because, like you, he was a, a big favorite of mine. Not only was he an exciting fighter inside the ring, but he was a character outside the ring, something that we're lacking uh, today. But, but your book kind of opened my eyes to some things that I, I didn't know, um, which was a surprise because I thought I knew it all about this guy. Um, was that what you set out to do? Did you, did you, did you try to, to write a book about Rocky that no one else was able to have that information or did you kind of
3: uncover it along the way? I think I uncovered it along the way. I didn't go into it with any preconceived notion of what kind of person Rocky was. You know, I knew that I liked him. I had watched a lot of his fights on YouTube. I felt a real affection for the guy, but, uh, as I went along doing my research, I uncovered things that I didn't know before, and I found it very interesting.
1: Well, what was your favorite fact that you uncovered? Tell me, uh, tell me what uh, you know you enjoyed the most. Uh, you know, because I know there was a couple that I did for sure.
3: Well, I, I enjoyed uh, learning more about his encounters with uh, Tony Zale, which was so important to him. I was also interested in his relationship with his manager, Irving Cohn, and how Irving Cohn became a substitute father for him and guided his career with a great deal of patience and understanding, as did uh, Whitey Bimstein, his trainer, and later on, uh, Al Silvani as well. He was very fortunate to be surrounded by these three men who contributed enormously to the success of his career. You
1: know, I, I, uh, I knew that he had a rocky relationship with his father, but I, I never realized the extent of it till I, re- I read your book. Uh, that had to be uh, really hard on, on uh, a young Rocky Graziano.
3: Absolutely. I, I, I think a lot of the anger that Rocky felt came from the abuse that he suffered as a little boy from his father. His father was a failed boxer, and he took it out on Rocky. You know, he, he, when Rocky was just uh, four, five, and six years old, he'd put boxing gloves on him, and then put boxing gloves on Rocky's older brother, who was four years older than Rocky, and get the two kids to fight. And because his older brother was bigger and stronger, he was always beating up Rocky, and, and the father encouraged that. Rocky had a lot of anger towards both his father and his older brother, and he dealt with his older brother years later. <clears throat> he, uh, he beat up his older brother w- when he was a teenager.
1: Um, What about the Jake? uh, There's always discussion about the Jake LaMotta fight that never happened. Can you give us some insight of some reasons why it didn't? I know there was an injury at one point, but uh, was there any insight of why it never happened? Was there anything that we don't know?
3: Well, I I think these two guys really liked each other very much. They met in, in reform school, and they became very close friends. There was also a significant weight difference between the two of them. And I think Irving Cohn felt that it really wouldn't be a great match for Rocky. He thought that these two men were real brawlers. Both of them had a similar style of fighting, and they just would have beaten each other to a pulp. And Irving didn't see any value in going forward with that. Uh, But they they did come close to making it, right? They did. They did, and then it it just never happened.
1: You know, one other thing about uh, Rocky that I I always admired – I mean, you know, by the standards in which he fought uh, in his era, he made good money in the ring. But Rocky was extremely successful outside of the ring. Tell us about that and how, uh, you know, how he took advantage of of that popularity.
3: Well, after his boxing career ended, he uh, did a, a, a regular TV show with a comedian named Henny Youngman. It was called The Henny and Rocky Show. And Rocky played a straight man to Henny Youngman. And Rocky would ask a question and Henny Youngman would answer it with a joke. So for example, one time Henny said to Rocky, a good friend of mine just came back from the doctor. And and Rocky said, and what happened? And Henny said, well, he was uh, told that he only had six months to live. And Rocky said, gee, that's terrible. And then what happened? Well, the doctor gave him a bill oh and what happened after that well th- my friend said he couldn't pay the bill so the doctor gave him another six months to live so, so they would do kind of these kinds of jokes back and forth and it was always after the uh, Friday night fights usually and the show would last for anywhere from 15 minutes to a half hour depending on when the fight ended you know it- young men uh, wanted to go out on the road a lot so eventually the show came to an end but then a man named Nat Hyken Who was a developer and creator of a lot of very successful TV shows, uh, decided that he was going to produce a show for a comedian named Martha Ray. And he was sitting around with one of the producers and the advertising agency that uh, supported the show. And they were saying that Martha Ray needed a boyfriend. They needed somebody who was sort of dumb, couldn't talk too well, somebody like Rocky Graziano. And then someone said, hey, well, why don't we get Rocky Graziano? (laughs) And Uh, Nat Hyken went down to Stillman's gym and met Rocky and said to him, "Uh, do you have an agent? And Rocky said, I don't have an agent, but I have a friggin' manager who's over there. You want to talk to him? (laughs) So Nat Hyken and and Irving spoke, and then they spoke with with Rocky, and they offered Rocky a regular part as Martha Ray's boyfriend on the show. He would be known as the Goomba. And people loved him. He was so popular and became such an integral part of the show that after just a few months, they doubled his salary. And it it helped to make Rocky into a a big star on television. He became so popular that he wound up doing 3,000 TV commercials. And he said that he probably made more money from doing TV commercials and and guest appearances on television and in movies than he had as a boxer.
1: Yeah, no, I I knew that. You know, one of the funny things uh, uh, that I always remembered about him was, uh, you know, his, his, uh, criminal background is, was well documented. Uh, uh the, the service, uh, a, well, all of those things. Uh, but I, 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 think it was after his boxing career when, you know, he, he was asked about it once again, he says, you know, uh, I, I, didn't, I only stole things that began with an A, you know, a car, right. <laughs> a, a car, a truck, a, a house, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, he, ha- he had those, he had that kind of, uh, Bowery Boys, you know, uh, like he would have fit right in with Slip Mahoney and and Satchmo, you know, but uh, um, he he did a lot of commercials. Didn't he do Meineke? Was he he a Meineke guy?
3: I think he did Meineke and he also did the Lee Miles transmission, but his biggest one was the uh, Post Raisin brand cereal. He became the actual spokesperson for that uh, cereal and he did a whole bunch of different commercials for them where he played different characters. A sailor, a tugboat captain, an explorer, a soldier—all kinds of things—and he usually played off against one little kid or a group of little kids.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, when he passed, I remember it, it had all the headlines in the New York papers. Um, He—he uh, kind of—he—he he was battling uh, an illness, right? Uh, or uh, but he still kind of died suddenly in a way, even though everybody knew he was sick, right? Tell us about the, his death.
3: He, he had a congestive heart failure and, and, and he had been battling it for a long time. I went to his uh, funeral service at St. Patrick's Cathedral and there must have been a thousand people there. That, that That's how beloved uh, Rocky was. People just adored this guy and, and they showed their appreciation and their respect and their affection to him by th- this enormous turnout uh, for his funeral.
1: You know, Jeff, one of the things that, uh, I you know, I said it in the beginning. Uh, of this interview and and I I feel very strongly about it you know one of the even though we're we're in a resurgence of the sport of boxing right now and, and it's been going on now for you know I would say you can make the argument for two years now one of the things that we are lacking is characters just like Rocky Graziano do you think that that type of character and I'm not saying a copycat of him but just somebody that you know, fans can relate to? Do you think that is extinct in the sport of boxing? Or do you think that we could see another popular character come back at some point
3: in time? I, I, I certainly think the door is open for somebody like Rocky or another character to come forward and, and, and really dominate the sport and attract people. You know, the people at Madison Square, Square Garden said nobody filled every seat in the garden like Rocky Graziano. When his name appeared... Uh, on, on a fight schedule, there every single ticket for the garden was sold.
1: And one last thing, I, I want to uh, have you give us a chance to uh, put into some light. You know, he was very honest about uh, the Fox situation. Uh, tell us about that. I mean, was that something that you uncovered that he was uh, uh, that he was kind of battling himself over before he came forward with that, or was forced to? Uh, what what was was there anything behind the scenes with with that whole situation?
3: Wait, I'm sorry. Which one was that? This
1: was, you know, when he went in front of the uh, council.
3: Oh, what what happened is uh, some mob guys had offered Rocky a, uh, a a big bribe to take a dive against uh, someone named Cowboy Shank, who was really a fifth-rate fighter. And Rocky realized that if he took a dive against this guy, his career would probably end. And if 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 he uh, refused the mob they might wind up killing him so he developed a back injury and the fight never happened he didn't have to lose he didn't have to win he just didn't fight so it was his way of avoiding that however the New York State Athletic Commission had a rule that if anyone tried to bribe you you had to report it to them and Rocky didn't report it to them you know he grew up in a neighborhood and with people who believed that ratting on anyone even ratting on your enemy what was it was a sin it wasn't something that you would do and Rocky accepted those rules in life and he saw no point in, in talking about being offered a bribe since he didn't take it however the Athletic Commission didn't see it that way and they revoked his license and he couldn't fight in New York New York was his hometown New York was where he was beloved New York is the, the city that where he was born and 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 bred him and where he learned to box so it was a shame that they took away his right to box. And he really didn't do anything wrong.
1: That was when uh, he ended up having to go to Chicago for the uh, um, the, the world title fight, right? Exactly. Yeah. Jeff, uh,
3: where can people get a copy of your book? Uh, Rocky Graziano, uh, Fist Fame and Fortune. You can get it at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or any other online bookseller.
1: Jeff, it was a a great read, and uh, look, what do you got on tap? Are you going to fill us in? Last time we had you on with the Ali book, you told us that you were working on something else. I'm sure you got something else up your sleeve coming soon, too. What what am I going to read next?
3: I have a new book that I'm working on right now. It should come out in about a year, and uh, I'll let you know when it comes out. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an advance warning. And as a matter of fact, I'll have my publisher send you a copy of the manuscript well before it's published.
1: Sounds good, my man. Jeff, thank you for coming on. Good luck with the book. I personally loved it. And uh, we look forward to having you on again. All right, my man? Thank you very much, Billy. It's always a pleasure being on your program. Thank you. Have a great weekend, my friend. Same to you. That's uh, Jeffrey Sussman. And uh, here's a copy of the book. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, and, uh, we, I'm showing you guys it right now. You can get a copy of it on Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Great read. Uh, I love this book. I got a chance to, uh, read it before it came out. And i tell you something. Uh, if you're a Rocky Graziano fan like me, you're going to learn some things in this book, uh, that you never heard before. And like I said, I wasn't kidding. I thought I knew it all about Rocky Graziano uh until I read this book uh that's one thing I've uh, learned about uh my man Jeff Resusman when he writes a book it's uh definitely 100% complete so make sure you get yourself uh, a copy of that and tell him uh uh that uh Billy C sent you to get a copy of that yeah 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 just tell him that but uh in any event we got some more stuff going on and uh we're going to uh get my man uh, uh Sal Rocky Santa Cola back uh, on the line here uh, in a second uh, we want to uh, keep moving I got some emails uh, that we're going to read and uh, Jeff's uh, sound was uh, uh, echoing a little bit in my uh, in my headset but uh, uh, some of the guys were telling me in the in the chat room that uh, uh, it was uh, it was okay uh, but uh, anyway uh, my man uh, Sal is uh, back with us and uh, Sal, uh, I know you were a big fan of uh, Rocky Graziano. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, is I, I, I got to plug myself. You know, I, I, uh, I, I am in. Uh, they included me in this book. If you, if you get a copy Aww. of this book on the back, uh, you'll see uh, a comment that I made that they, they put uh, on the cover. Uh, it's not the whole comment, but the whole comment was released in a press release. But uh, if you see this book, you'll see my name. And uh, what I say right here, I'll quote myself. It says, Sussman tells Graziano's story like no other ever written. I learned things about Rocky I never knew before. This book is a must-read for all, not just for boxing fans. Sal, what did you think of Rocky Graziano?
2: I loved Rocky. I mean, growing up and watching uh, Paul Newman do the movie about Rocky Graziano's life and somebody up there likes me. I was an instant fan, and I, you know, tried to. My father got me all the all the old eight millimeter uh, film that was available with Rocky, and and that was really a a really neat influence on my my wanting to be a boxer. My father would bring home reels and reels of Jake LaMotta, Henry Armstrong, Rocky Graziano, uh, Rocky Marciano. But I was a big big Rocky Graziano fan, and then I had my early times uh, having the opportunity to meet him in Gleason's gym and then uh, he came to my first couple of fights and uh, it was at my fourth pro fight where he came into my dressing room after the fight I think I had a knockout and uh he said, Sal, you, you, you know, I, I've been watching you, you fight like me, you, you look like me, you, you're a good fighter, you could be champ one day, but I, I don't get it. I, wh- you're the only fighter that doesn't have a, a ring name, uh, only Italian fighter doesn't have a ring name. Why don't you have a ring name? I said, well, Rocky, you know, I haven't really thought about it much. And at that very moment, he says, well, I'll tell you what, I want you to start using my name. I want you to call yourself Rocky. And when you do that, you're gonna find it's gonna bring you all the luck in the world, and 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 maybe one day you'll be champ. But I want you to be Rocky Senecola. And you know what? I, it hit me, and I said, Rocky. I mean, I'm I'm I was shaking, I was shivering, I was smiling, I was elated. I said, Man, I, I'll be honored, and and I hope I do it justice. And and he said, Kid, you got what it takes. You'll do it justice. And you know, so from that point on. You know, I, I I was introduced as Sal Rocky Senecola. I didn't want to disrespect my father. You know, I'm a Sal Senecola. My father was a Sal Senecola, so I had a I, I I wanted to on one hand call myself Rocky Senecola, but uh, you know I, I I couldn't give up my uh, my birth name of Sal. So we slipped Rocky in there, and and uh, that was it. And and boy, I'll tell you, uh, I I met with Rocky several times after that, and uh, but one of my Glorious afternoons. I, I was a guest of Al Cerdo when Al Cerdo uh, took the reins over after uh, Custom Auto passed, and uh, I think he started uh, handling the Stafford Ham Show. And um, uh, I think it was one of the fights against Marvin Hagler. So Al Cerdo invited me um, at the time, and, and I was looking to have Al Cerdo take over my career after I, I left Richie Giacchetti and Sylvester Stallone with that contract situation. And Al certo, uh had a, had a great luncheon, and you know Rocky was there, and so Rocky and I would talk, and we'd have a great time, and and a lot of pictures of that. But who else was in that luncheon? Was unbelievable. Jake LaMotta was there, and 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 uh, uh, um, uh, who else was there? Tony, uh, who was there? Uh, Gennaro, uh There was a couple other champs there. It was just, it was just a fantastic day we spent. At a restaurant, and I think it was Mustafa Ham Show, Syrian restaurant that they were promoting, and it was before he fought Hagler, and uh, it was a uh, it was a great afternoon, and and I'll never forget Al Certo chiming in. You know, the, Rocky was talking to, to Jake and and uh, Tony Tony. Uh, 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 let's see, who was it? Canzonori. Canzonori. That Tony Kanzanori uh, was there, and um, it was a great afternoon. It, these guys are talking, hey, how many times you have been married? I've been married six times. What happened to you first? Well, she ate a bad egg, you know. They were going back and forth, back and forth. Then all of a sudden, Al Certle chimes in and he goes, you know, between listening to the three of you, I think we need an interpreter. You know, it was just a hilarious afternoon, just a great, great afternoon. And uh, I'll, it's obviously an afternoon I'll never forget amongst three world champions. It was, it was just a— uh, I was in my, I was in my, my, uh, my ring, my element, my environment, and uh, it was fantastic. I'll never forget that.
1: We got some more emails to read. This next one is from Joel, and Joel says, uh, "Hey Billy, see on the undercard of this Friday's PBC card on FS1, a 20-year-old prospect, 8-0, Sebastian Fundora, uh, will be uh, fighting. He's six foot six and makes 154 pounds. Absolutely crazy." Uh, Have you heard about him or know him? Is he a good prospect? Hopefully he can go far in his career uh, and has time to learn since he's very young. Yeah, we had just, uh, not only did I talk about him uh, today, Joel, but we also had uh, brought him up in in the past. I I I think it was right after his eighth win. Uh, He caught my eye because of his size and weight class. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how he uh, progresses. Uh, This next uh, email is from Rick, my man Rick. Uh, His subject says Mayweather fans will always support him. Uh, He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, I've really enjoyed your show the other day, and I had an email in response to your question of why Mayweather's fans will always support him. I have no doubt that there's a racial aspect involved, but for me, that has nothing to do with it. I agree with everything you said about Mayweather stacking the deck in his favor. But there's something you media guys have never figured out. I love when people tell me something that I don't know. You know, like uh, like the funny thing is, you know, oh Bill, you gotta understand, you know, they they're doing it for this and that. It's not that I don't get it. I try to speak for what I don't I don't like from the from a purist standpoint. It's not that I don't understand the business. I, I think I've picked up something in uh, almost 37 years in the business so um but anyway he says uh much like cnn goes out of their way to bash president trump at every opportunity and never acknowledge anything positive he does the boxing media has been doing the same to mayweather for years in particular guys like larry merchant and max max kellerman we're at the forefront, and I lost so much respect for them to the point I can't stand listening to them anymore. Same thing goes for Ring Magazine, which I stopped reading after 15 years of buying subscriptions. Hey, for that, uh, I just want to comment. I used to subscribe to Ring Magazine. I have a room full of magazines, uh, but I stopped subscribing once Golden Boy bought it uh, because uh, the reason is it's not the same. It, it's it's all Golden Boy. And and not only that, but Ring Magazine and and Sal, I'm sure you can agree with me. When we I were younger, Ring Magazine was it. You 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 couldn't <laughs> wait for the new issue to come out so that you could find out what was going on, who won, who fought worldwide. Now everything's at our fingertips. The what started the 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 Ring Magazine slide for me was when I started getting issues. In May, and I'm getting September's issue in May, you know, and it's showing yeah. me it's showing me fights that happened two months ago, you know. So it was like this is all old news. The the internet kind of put magazines
2: like that out, out of business. What what would you think on that? Well, like you said, I grew up with Ring Magazine, and the ring record book i'm i'm in it and, and and uh uh i used to watch my progress there and what they would record and ring magazine i was in and had the ratings in there uh domestically and internationally world rankings and it was right there at my fingertips i remember looking at the rankings and i want to fight this guy i want to fight that guy and it was it was great it was a but as you suggested you know once the world media became uh, uh something on the internet and and You know, there were other vessels. I think, you know, Ring Magazine had other magazines trying to come up and and compete with them, like Boxing World, uh, this one, that one. And they were all unique and pretty good, too. I used to get all of them. But as you suggested, you know, I started wondering, guessing, well, how come I'm looking at things that happened, or they're calling it the September issue. I'm picking it up in April, and uh, these fights already had, You know, just like you said. It was an after-the-fact story. And, I, you know, media uh, took way and, 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 and uh, social media and other things and made them, I think, less profitable and also less valuable because, you know, especially today, we can get instant results, instant things. We don't have to wait for a publication. Um, <laughs> but, it was the, but it was the Bible Frank of boxing. It was once known as the Bible of boxing. Right. Right. Um.
1: Okay, so uh, let's see, where was I? Uh, okay, the end result <clears throat> is it backfires for a lot of people and makes them even bigger fans for Mayweather, or Trump for that matter, or whoever. Barry Bonds is another good example. It also makes the media seem biased and less credible. With Mayweather, I used to be a fan early on, but started rooting against him around the time he fought Arturo Gotti because I thought he was disrespectful to Gotti for no reason leading up to the fight. But with all the emergence but with the emergence of Manny Pacquiao and the blind-ass kissing from people with media platforms, I was really turned off, especially when they felt the need to discredit Mayweather in order to pump up Pacquiao. You know, I just want to stop for one second. You know, the difference between Pacquiao and Mayweather um, is, is really only one. Manny Pacquiao's fights were more exciting than Mayweather's. The, the problem with Mayweather is he chose to take a route that was not exciting. So although he was successful in the ring, wins and losses-wise, and, of course, in his bank account, um, he wasn't an exciting fighter. But every time he would promise that this is going to be the time I'm going to be exciting, and everybody bought it, hook, line, and sinker. You know, that what I, is what I think is one of the main reasons why all of a sudden you had that division between Mayweather fans and Pacquiao fans. And they were both similar. Like I say, Boston Red Sox and New York Yankee fans hate each other, but they're the same fan rooting for different teams. It's the same as Mayweather and Pacquiao, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, He says, I think Pac's eighth division world title against Margarito was one of the biggest jokes I've seen in my life. Uh, he says Mayweather actually fought a real 154 pounder in Canelo but didn't get any credit that Pacquiao got for fighting a washed up Margarito at a catchweight first of all he he wasn't washed up at the time and Mayweather avoided Margarito Margarito was the guy at welterweight and Floyd chose Carlos Baldomir that's what gave him all kinds of of, of slack. And the other thing was is the way Pacquiao destroyed uh, Antonio Margarito. Floyd would have beat Margarito too because Margarito was slow and methodical, but Floyd didn't want to take that risk. That's what I think a lot of people disliked about uh, Floyd. I know that was one of my uh, issues. And as far as fighting Canelo, uh, Mayweather did fight Canelo at 154 and give credit where credit's due. He beat a young Canelo. But that version of Canelo is totally different than the version we see today. And the one thing that I have always said about Canelo, Floyd saw, and that's why he knew that he was going to beat Canelo. Canelo couldn't beat Floyd because of Floyd's mobility. Floyd was able to hit him two or three times and get out of harm's way. Canelo has to plant his feet before he can let his hands go. And the end result is Floyd's victory there. Even though I think I think one judge gave it to uh, uh, Canelo. But anyway... He says, "Well, all this is happening, I just became a bigger Mayweather fan. No one can seem to report on him objectively. Carlos Monzon killed his wife, but no one ever refers to him as a woman killer. Uh, as far as Mayweather fighting in the UFC, I agree with everything you said, Billy. But if the fight uh, got made, I wouldn't think any less of Mayweather's legacy. I wasn't a fan of his 50th boxing win, but if somebody can make that much money for a sham fight, more power to him. I guess that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> I mean, I mean that sums it up. I mean, uh, <laughs> right, Sal? I it mean, if there. if Floyd can scam people and do shim-shams and they still shell out the money, more power to him, right? Hey, why not? It worked for him one time. Well, it's worked for uh, about the last decade of his career. But uh, anyway, thanks for the email, Rick. You know how I feel. Um, this next one is from our buddy, Matt, uh, out of Buffalo. He says, uh, hey, Billy, C, I was very surprised yesterday at the show's opening regarding Joshua and Wilder negotiations. The flat rate offer was, in my opinion, a complete joke or at best a starting point for a negotiation. I know in reading this email, you're likely going inter- to interject <laughs> disagreement at this point. But I want to outline No, and no, I'll read it all before I disagree with you, Matt. Uh, but at this point, I want to outline regardless. In Joshua versus Parker negotiations, a smaller, a similar offer was extended to Parker for around six million. Negotiations followed and Parker earned much, much more despite uh, less than his initial starting uh, point of a 50% split. In my line of work, negotiations over salary are fierce and I can never disrespect the man fighting the ultimate contest for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world, uh, seeking his fair share to pay regardless will be higher than his previously previous fights but the game requires a great dance partners uh, to be great. As you have stated, Deontay Wilder has already conceded the location and majority share of the purse. Hearn's being smart either way with the leverage and will get Wilder down to a smaller purse or simply the fight won't happen and uh, cash on to Pavetkin. To quote Hyman Roth, gentlemen, this is a business that we have chosen. I suppose That is our place as fans uh, of this sport. In any case, I'm very surprised at the cult of Anthony Joshua, which has emerged in our sports circles. Uh, I have followed Joshua since his early days, and I do like him, but I think his emergence as a star and subsequent actions uh, has hampered his popularity a bit for me. He hasn't become a diva yet, but I can begin to see shades. I will state a simple prediction in a fabled Wilder versus Joshua bout, and hope Sal can weigh in uh, from a p- fighter's perspective. In watching Joshua, I see a lack of head movement and overall stiffness. Paulie Malignaggi specifically noted this in his analysis. My father, in the lead-up to the Klitschko fight, appinned, uh that the legend would give Joshua fits due to movement and his skill. Uh, In that Klitschko fight, the most noteworthy exchange was a heavy-handed one-two, which knocked Joshua down. In the Parker fight, my father father and I also noted movement negating Joshua's uppercut and exchanges where Parker appeared to hurt Joshua. I believe that Wilder matches up very well to Joshua on the basis of his punch, his height, and unorthodox movement. I also feel Wilder has the X-factor of a chip on his shoulder." I take Wilder to become the undisputed champion. To separate us from Mayweather and Joshua topics, I all wanted to pose a question for you and Sal. Uh, With both fighters fighting in June and a lack of opponents for top rank, what are the odds uh, of a year-end fight between Crawford and Errol Spence? Well, um, before I answer that, uh, what's your... Do you want to answer Matt's question about um, the styles from a fight perspective? Do you notice lack of head movement in Joshua, et cetera, et cetera? All these things he said.
2: I do notice some flaws or some some points in uh, Joshua that, uh, like I said, he's going to have to pick it up a notch and and start doing some things. And uh, I and I, I will tell you right now, Bill. I, I I it's just it's just the X factor. I s- predict and I see if Anthony Joshua was supposed to, uh, is he going to get in the ring with Deontay Wilder, I'm going to pick Deontay Wilder and knock him out. Uh, I'm not sure if it's early or late, but I just see that looming, glooming right hand coming over the top and catching um, uh, Anthony Joshua and putting some serious hurt on him. And like I said, uh, the, we'll, the, we'll have to wait to see if that happens. But... Um, uh, I agree with Matt's email on that level, and I I, I I think Anthony Joshua is great. I think he's a phenomenal fighter. I think he's 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 one of the best out there. But unfortunately, as we say, he's still developing. He he's not. I don't think reaches peak just yet. And uh, it's no fault of his own. He he's king of the game. He's a big man, and he he's got some great power. But I just see some flaws, and I see that Anthony Joshua. Maybe uh, on the receiving end of one of those looming right hands that Deontay Wilder is going to throw. Could be. And I think that's it. Could he could be?
1: Um, could be. As far as uh, the possibility <laughs> of a, a Terrence Crawford against Errol Spence, I certainly see that. Um, Terrence Crawford is a guy that uh, ducks no one. Uh, you know, the funny thing about Terrence Crawford and somebody I, I was in this conversation with somebody the other day about this. You know they were telling me, ah, who's he ever beat? Who did Crawford ever beat? He's never beat anybody. I'm like, what are you talking about? Who did he ever beat? Terence Crawford was a guy that was brought in as the opponent at first. When we first saw him on TV, he was brought in as the as the opponent. Who, who did he fight? Uh, Ken, not um, uh, not Kenny Rogers. Uh, uh, anyway, he was brought in as the opponent and. Three times in a row, he was brought in as, as the B-side. And three times in a row, he won. And all of a sudden, they were like, oh, well, maybe this is the guy. And then he became the A-side fighter. Terrence Crawford is a quality fighter. This guy, uh, you know, he feels his, he, he pulls a Mayweather type uh, for the first couple of rounds where he, he, he feels out his opponent. But unlike Mayweather, he goes in for the kill. He's not afraid to, to engage He's an exciting fighter after the first few rounds. And quite honestly, I enjoy watching him uh, scope out his opponent. And Errol Spence is almost identical to him. Errol Spence is a guy that does the same kind of stuff. He's young, he's brash, he feels out his opponent in a little bit, and then he goes in for the kill. He's not afraid to engage. These two guys would make a great fight. And I got news for you. I would like to see it. Now, whether or not it happens at the end of this year, I don't know. The problem with the sport today is the unwillingness of promoters to work with each other or the ego part of who's the A-side, who's the the B-side, who gets to call the shots, who's the main promoter, who's this, who's that. You know, there's so many other underlying issues that prevent a lot of fights from happening. But uh, as far as on paper, Sal, uh, Terrence Crawford against Errol Spence Jr. would be a, a great fight to watch be a
2: great fight to watch it be a heck of a fight uh, but I will sp- but I will pick Errol Spence Jr. If yeah, that happens I, Well I don't know um, off the top that's just me off the top not even looking at both fighters right now and their training and everything else going into the into the camps and and what we may hear on on, on black and white paper for me I I see Errol Spence beating Terence Crawford
1: I, I They'll have to fight. That's you know, an, I, I, love, I, really love Errol, I love, I love Errol, I love Errol Spence. Just, it's, just, it's just an opinion. No, it's no, not the, no, I, I, it's, it's no. It stays. No, no. Listen, it's okay. I, I mean, it's that's a tough one to pick. That's a true fifty it's a tough fifty one to pick. But that, I see
2: Errol Spence beating well, Terrence well, Crawford.
1: The only thing is, I I don't have a pick yet, and I'll tell you why. Terrence Crawford has the better uh, resume right now, in my opinion, even though it's in a lower weight class, even though it's in a lower weight class. He's fought the better opposition. Errol Spence, unfortunately, doesn't have the willing dance partner. Keith Thurman keeps getting these injuries and stuff like that. Uh, now, Errol Spence did go and beat a, a quality fighter in Kel Brook, but Kell Brook, uh, you know, had his orbital bone broken by Triple G, then had his other side of his or- orbital bone broken by Errol Spence, um, which, you know, caused him to, to stop fighting. I, I, I would like to see Errol Spence... Um, I clearly would like to see Errol Spence fight Terrence Crawford. There's no question about it. It would be a great fight. I think it's a 50-50 fight. I honestly can't give who I think would win that fight right now. I, I want to see more of Errol Spence at, at a higher level. I want to see him fight some top guys. The problem is is the top guys won't fight him. So
2: I, I, I don't know. I, I You know what? I love I, the fight. I love the fight, Sal. I love it. I, I love the fight too, I, and and you know what? I, maybe I'm very high on Errol Spence, but I see things that he possesses that makes me make these judgment calls. I I see Errol Spence beating Keith Thurman. Uh, I I think Errol Spence is one of the best out there today in his weight you, division. You could beat Keith Thurman. Keith
1: Thurman is, is got something to hide <laughs> I right like now. I'd like to come back. Keith Thurman's got something to hide. That's why he keeps uh, injuring himself somehow. But <laughs> but <laughs> listen, you know, just keep one thing in perspective. Yeah. You know, I you can always look at a fighter and say, oh, I like what he does. You know, he does this well, he, he, he uses his jab, but he's got movement, he's got this, he's got that. But we have to look at who they're fighting. You know, and we say this all the time. And I'm not suggesting Errol Spence is, has not fought anybody good. I'm just saying, you know, um, you got to keep it in perspective. In other words, it's like Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder has the power. That is an equalizer. That separates him and, and lets him, you know, uh, give up or, or uh, let me choose a better choice of, of, of words. You know, lets him, you know, get away with um, maybe not possessing the best footwork, et cetera, et cetera. He's got the equalizer. But, you know, you could play devil's advocate and say, well, you know, he's only displayed it um, against a top quality opponent once. And he won and 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 not only did he win he came back showing heart and everything else so his value in my eyes went up big time but the way to get a true gauge of a fighter is to see those skills maintain with higher levels of opposition a a good example sal is a fighter like sugar ray leonard sugar ray leonard uh you know fought well against lower opposition and higher opposition He had the opportunity to do that. Let's just hope that some of these young guys get that
2: same opportunity. Yes, I agree with you. And, you know, getting back earlier to Matt's email, part of the incentive and part of the fire, uh, as he would title on Deontay Wilder, is that chip. Well, I think he's got a lot of people he wants to prove wrong. And, uh, and and that is probably one of the added incentives of why he can get himself up off the canvas and come back and uh, throw caution to the wind and exchange with people and come out uh, victorious. So uh, that's a little bit fuel for the fire, too. And I see that in the fighters. And I see, you know, sometimes there is that nasty streak that people have to bring out. And that's what you do in the boxing ring. Not all the time, but sometimes and when you have it it, 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 it could be an added incentive, too. Um, one more email. This is from my man, Mitch.
1: Now, his title, his subject title says, they won't take the money because it's a play, <laughs> but. play off of my butt. You know, I don't want to make an excuse, but clause. But, but. Uh, he says, I don't know if Deontay wants to fight or not. He says he does, so I'm going to take him at his word. But his team won't take the initial offer. I believe this because they leaked the money out. These are negotiations and with a fight of this magnitude, negotiations should be kept top secret. The fact that the world knows that it was twelve and a half million during the early negotiation period tells me they don't want it. Fanboys are going to turn to Deonte. Uh, are going? Fanboys are going to turn in Deontay uh, I, I I don't understand that, but uh, he says you can't fight a money battle through the media. You've uh, you'll be looked at as greedy or stupid or both he's going to be paid six times his highest payday uh two million uh times six equals 12 millions prior to ortiz it would have been 12 times his biggest payday it's time for deontay to step up step up and let some heads roll if they mess this kid's opportunity up it'll be a tragic boxing story you can't play out a negotiation through the media. I bet 90% of the fans, including his fanboys, will say he should take the deal. It's more than fair. Um, I agree with Mitch that they should not use the media or social media to negotiate. And unfortunately, and I, and I was saying this yesterday um, to some people on social media, um, Deontay Wilder, whether you like him or not, has been mishandled. Um, Deontay Wilder, nobody would know who Deontay Wilder is right now unless it was for Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder promotes himself. Now, I don't like the antics of pounding your chest and yelling and screaming and saying you want to kill somebody in the ring, you really want to kill somebody, all of that. I hate it. I think it's it's detrimental to the sport, and I think it makes him look like a complete fool, ghetto type of individual. Whether he is or not, I don't know. You know, I think what I see him and, and the, the video and pictures I've seen with his daughter, he looks like a regular loving father to me, okay, um, but unfortunately for Deontay Wilder, his loyalty is hurting himself. He has stayed with those guys that are ripping him off. Those guys, who are they? Al Heyman, Shelly Finkel, Lou DiBella. Uh, those guys are ripping him off. They were the ones that are supposed to be promoting him, saying the things, getting the news out there doing what they have to do. They are the ones that should be opening up their checkbooks and trying to put on a fight and make an offer to Anthony Joshua to come here to the States. But they haven't. And they're the ones that use the media to try to help their own negotiation. No, I'm sorry. The problem with Deontay Wilder isn't Deontay Wilder. It's Deontay Wilder's team. Deontay Wilder needs to really, I, I know his loyalty, I respect his loyalty. Nobody respects loyalty more than me and I respect Deontay for being loyal to his team but at some point he's got to look in the mirror and say what are these guys doing to me and the truth of the matter is let's say he does get some more money out of the deal great more power to him but let's say the other side like Mitch is suggesting let's say that the other thing can happen that Anthony Joshua says forget about it he's got the WBA pressuring him to fight Povetkin he's got Uh, Tyson Fury out of retirement is going to fight a tune-up fight, then calling him out, which is a huge money fight for him in England. You know, he's got all of these opportunities to fight. He'll have uh, IBF mandatories. He'll have all these other mandatories to fight and make all the money that he continues to make right now. All right? So, no, uh, Anthony Joshua right now is in the driver's seat. If Deontay Wilder doesn't fight him, At least to shut him up at least to shut Anthony Joshua up and beat him because obviously Deontay has an opportunity to do that the truth of the matter is is can he make the kind of money that his team in a sense may risk him walking away from because he won't sign on a dotted line whether or not he's worth more or not that's neither here nor there because he's in a position right now where he takes a fight or he loses the fight altogether we don't wanna see this fight happen five years down the road. What's
2: your thoughts, Sal? Well, you know what I've always said, I think, you know, I, I think uh, Deontay Waller is deserving of a of a of a large port of the purse and, and you know if a twelve point five is a starting point or or so, I like I said, I think he should make this fight happen, uh, not take anything less than twelve point five and just do it with the confidence. You're gonna knock out and uh, D- Anthony Joshua and you're going to bring a rematch back to the United States where you're going to have all the leverage where you're going to have the bargaining chip where you're going to have the bigger bigger, pers- bigger percentage and bigger everything else just get it, put your money where your mouth is make the fight happen and even though you you feel and, and we feel maybe you're worth more than $12.5 million for this fight do what you have to do to make this fight happen and go over there Destroy your opponent like you think you can and bring it back here and you'll be in the driver's seat. And I, I just don't want to see, as you suggested, this fight fall apart because $12.5 million is not enough money for him to sign on the contract. It's not enough? No, no. no. For that reason. For that reason. I don't want to see the fight fall apart where it's going to be because his side of the camp— doesn't feel that the twelve point five million dollars is enough money for him to sign the fight. That's all I'm saying. Well, know, I think the- it is. I think it is. like I said. I think he should take the fight. Maybe have some kind of revenue sharing of the of the of the pay per view on that side, but get the face value, get the twelve point five, and and uh, and just as a starting point there, and then basically see if there's a wiggle room there for any kind of uh, sharing in in, in pay per views or something like that. Get the fight. Go over there. Knock him out, and then come back here, and then have yourself in the driver's seat where you can get the bigger side of the purse. Well, He's got to get this fight. He's got to take this fight. And I'm sorry uh, if if uh, his side is going to screw it up because it's 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 uh, it's uh, not uh, it's an insult because 12.5 million dollars is not enough in their eyes. You know the fight may never happen then, but they they should really look at it as as a two fight deal where they'll have the driver's seat if they do what they think they're going to do. Well the, win. well, the truth of the
1: matter is, is in, in any new negotiation, you know, you are expected to make an offer. Then somebody says, well, we'll take well, we want this. And then we, we come yes. back to that. I mean, I get it. The The problem in this particular situation is time. You know, time is is in, in boxing more than I mean, time is all of our enemies. But in boxing, it's even more so. You know, I was kidding earlier in the show about, you know, and Sal will back me up on this. I mean, I'm talking four years ago, I was telling Sal we should do this and that with yes. with uh, uh, an idea that I had, and streaming was a very important part of it. And we hemmed and hard and dragged our feet and didn't do it. Well, now, four years later, we we could have been, you know, uh, the leaders instead, the the leaders that are on TV that are now in that um uh, business are are leading, you know. So so if you drag your feet and and time passes, it's your biggest enemy, and it's no, no more evident than in the sport of boxing. But with that said, you know um, the truth of the matter here, because of the importance of titles. If we're talking about Floyd Mayweather, well, Floyd didn't need the titles. So if, if there was a sanctioning body saying to Floyd, hey, if you don't fight so-and-so, we're stripping your title. Floyd says, take your belt. Anthony Joshua has not gotten either. He hasn't gotten to that point yet, or he doesn't realize he can do that yet. And, uh, you know, his fear of losing the belt uh, outside of the ring is more than losing the belt, excuse me, inside the ring. So the truth of the matter is, is that they have some leverage with Anthony Joshua, so they are against the ropes. They have to make this fight with Deontay Wilder before the negotiation period for Pivetkin ends. So the truth of the matter is, is is, they both are in kind of a negative situation. I say both, meaning A.J. and Deontay Wilder. Of course, Deontay Wilder's team is going to try to squeeze as much money as they can out of Deontay Wilder, I, I mean, uh, out of Anthony Joshua. But they have to keep in mind, just like Sal's been saying all along, pad the second fight with the extra money. Take the fight now. Go get the opportunity to knock out Anthony Joshua in England, and then everything else changes. The other side of the coin is you're going to lose the opportunity to go knock out Anthony Joshua. And in this business, and especially this division, somebody else can knock out Anthony Joshua, and then Deontay Wilder is still making – 2 million dollars of fight and he's going to fight for for six more years before he can make that kind of money. Um I, I it it's a tough one. I hope they can work it out. But uh, me too. Yeah. In any event, uh listen, we have our trivia question. Uh I've been oh, asking uh, uh everybody ab- about the uh trivia. Uh we uh well, let, let let me uh let me read the trivia question to you one more time. Uh the trivia question uh it w- the, the trivia question was Name the boxer who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by stoppage. Now, this this question has been going on for a while. Uh, We started it, actually, on April 6th. I gave some hints. The first hint was never was a world champion. The second hint was he fought for a world title. And the third and final hint I gave was that he was a heavyweight. We finally, boys and girls, got ourselves a winner. The winner and the first person to know that the answer to this question was Johnston. My man Johnston Johnson, knew that the, the, the name Young Stribling was Young the guy. Stribling. Now, Young Stribling Georgia, fought. Right? Yeah, Macon County, Georgia. He fought almost 1,700 rounds uh, as a fighter. He had a record of 256 wins, 16 losses and wow. 17 draws. He had 289 fights and oh by the way, did I forget to mention? This guy died at 28. 28. He died at 28 years old and he had almost 300 fights up until he was 28 years old. And here's another stat for you. You know who wow. You know who his trainer was? His mother, Ma Strabling, You know who his, his manager was? His father, Pa Stribling. These guys were... His brother was a, was, was a fighter too. Listen, his last fight took place on September 23rd in 1933 when he won a 10-round decision over Maxie Rosenblum, another oh former world gosh. champion, okay? He died in a motorcycle accident. He got uh, in a severe motorcycle accident after uh, that... Uh, uh, uh fight he got his foot uh severed and he died due of uh, uh complications in the hospital he had at one point before he passed a 107 degree temp of uh, fever uh he got stopped incidentally uh for this uh question he was stopped when he challenged Max Schmelling for his world heavyweight title uh and got stopped at two minutes and 46 seconds. Uh, of the final round uh, in a title shot. He was getting beat up, and they waved the fight off uh, with about 15 seconds to go uh, to get him uh, through the end, and it was his first knockout loss, his first title shot, and uh, it would be his last title shot. Uh, We lost uh, Young Striebling uh, at just 28 years old, so congratulations to Johnston. Uh, He is uh, the winner, and I already sent him his copy of the title bout championship computer game. So congratulations to him uh, for winning that. Uh, so we got a new question and today's new question uh, is uh, basically going to have the same prize on the line. I got another copy of the Title Bow Championship computer game on the line. So if you're the first one to answer this question correctly by emailing me, Billy at Talking Boxing, that's T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com, you will win uh, your very own copy of the Title Bow Championship computer game. Here is the question The question is. Before my 20th birthday, I beat four world champions and lost to another one who I also defeated just one month past my 20th birthday. Who am I? Before my 20th birthday, I beat four world champions and lost to another one who I ended up defeating a month past my 20th birthday. Who am I? If you're the first one to email me the correct answer, you'll win a copy of the title bout championship computer game. The email is Billy at Talking Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Sal, Rocky Senecola, do you have a guess?
2: Jack Dempsey?
1: Ah, uh, great answer, but uh, no, it was not Jack Dempsey. On this day, April 12th, In boxing history, in 1997, Raul Marquez knocks out Anthony Stevens in the ninth round to win the vacant IBF junior middleweight title took place in Vegas. By the way, Raul Marquez, excellent ringside commentator for Showtime. Uh, On this day, is it Showtime or HBO? Uh, Wow, I forget. He's a good commentator wherever he is. Uh, on this day in 1997, Oscar De La Jolla wins a 12-round decision over Sweet P. Whitaker uh, to win the WBC welterweight title to place in Vegas. On this day in 1981, Sean O'Grady wins a 15-round decision over Hilmer Kenty to win the WBA lightweight title to place in Atlantic City uh new jersey on this day in 81 on this day also in 1981 on the other side of the country former world uh boxing great former heavyweight champion and hall of famer joe lewis died on this day in 1981 in las vegas at 66 i'll never forget 66 sal i will it is forever etched in my mind the last fight, I believe it was a Larry Holmes fight, or, or I, 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 I forget the fight, but he was ringside for a fight. They wheeled him in a wheelchair. To be ringside, a cowboy Joe, hat on, he had a too. big cowboy hat on. Yep. I will never forget that image, and I'm saying to myself, "Oh!" And and for years, I thought the guy was in his 80s or 90s. 80s. I thought he was in his 80s. When I found out that he died at 66, I w- that image just pops in my head. But uh, anyway, me too. Just did right now. Also, uh, on this day, we lost another uh, great, and, and, and this guy was considered the best ever. On this day, April 12th, in 1989, the best ever. Sugar Ray Robinson, uh, former uh, multi-division world champion and Boxing Hall of Famer, he died in California on this day at 68 years old. So two great, great fighters historically. uh, Both died fairly young, especially by today's standards, on this day in uh, 1981 and 1999. Hey, man, uh, we know we went over our time limit today. Uh, but we had a lot of stuff to talk about we are not doing a live show tomorrow or Monday we will be back on Tuesday better than ever so uh make sure you tune in Tuesday morning same bad time same bad channel until then I'll leave you with this ciao baby <laughs>